We are continuing in lesson three here for our study on angels and demons. <clears throat> angels first, because that's where demons came from. So we got to know where demons came from before we talk about them. And uh, this one is probably going to take us two weeks. You've got that half sheet in front of you. You can see there are a few verses on there. <laughs> and there are some that I have on my sheet that you don't have on your sheet, so even more. But it's okay, because I, I looked at the schedule, and I saw we're actually a week ahead. I don't know how that happened. I just, that scheduling error, but in, in favor, in our favor. So this may take us two weeks. So don't lose this sheet that you're getting tonight. You'll probably need it next week. I actually would be pretty surprised if we made it through the first section tonight, just because there's so much there. But uh, how about I pray, and then we'll get into what we have. God, we thank you so much for this day that you've made, this evening you've given us together to uh, look into your word and to study this amazing topic of angels. Lord, they are your creatures and they are mysterious to us in so many ways, yet you've given us so much truth about them. And so we just want to learn from you, Lord, and we ask you'd guide this study and you'd help us to be drawn closer to you, that we would be nearer uh, to you and better students of truth because of the time that we spend here tonight. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so lesson one was about the reality of the supernatural realm. That's what that was all about two weeks ago when we started this study. Last week, we talked about the nature of angels, and we concluded that nature... Well, we didn't really conclude because I gave you this definition at the start. So uh, we started with and concluded... Uh, <laughs> That's called a circular argument, isn't it? Anyway, that um, angels are immaterial, spirit beings, created and named by God, possessing a spiritual condition. You remember that definition? You all memorized that last week? Okay, we've got to wake up here tonight. I know it's evening time. It's getting darker sooner. Eyes open. Okay, let's get, we can get toothpicks and just put, make your eyes go open, okay? All right, <clears throat> this is exciting stuff. Do you think angels are in this room right now? Yes. Here, I'll mix it up. I'll shake it up. Oh, angels are in this room right now. Wow, that makes the study pretty relevant, <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, we don't see them. Maybe we could. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. <laughs> All right, that started some conversation. All right. Well, now that maybe some of you have started your brains thinking, okay, now we're on the topic of angels together. Here we go. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at classifications of angels. And like I said, we probably won't get to the ranks of angels. We'll save that probably for next week. But we have here at the top this statement, the Bible uses a variety of terms to identify angels. And I've given you some of them. I haven't given you all of them on the sheet, but some of them. And I've got them here on the board. And we're just going to go through and... Define them, okay? Starting with the word angel. Can you believe the Bible, the Bible talks about angels by calling them angels? That's a real shocker. Uh, so let's have someone grab Psalm 9111. Who can get that? Stan, thank you. And someone else get these three verses in Matthew 4. It's Matthew 4, 6 and 7, and also verse 11. Logan, thank you. Okay, we're, we're going to need lots of volunteers tonight, so everyone will get a chance. Just uh, keep raising those hands and shouting it out, and we'll... Take all that we can get, okay? So let's see, just real basic, in the Old Testament, how angels are referred to, starting with Psalm 91, 11. Go ahead, Stan. 
For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Okay, so um, not an earth-shattering verse, right? Uh, he's, God is in charge of angels. We already knew that. And we see here a particular function that they're going to guard. We're going to see this over and over again as we keep studying angels, that they are messengers and protectors. Okay, those are the two nouns that you can kind of just tack on to that word angel. Messengers and protectors. Okay, how about Matthew 4, 6 and 7 and verse 11. 4, 6 and 7. And said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on your hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You should not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the eleven said, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Okay. So this is during uh, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And uh, you've got angels mentioned twice there in those first 11 verses where uh, you have, um, it's just kind of amazing, verse 6. You have the devil talking to Jesus saying, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And Satan quotes Scripture. He quotes the verse that Stan just read. He quotes Psalm 91. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down down like jump off a building because it says in the bible that his angels will guard you i mean what a dumb argument right but uh that's the argument the devil's making and how dumb is it to make that argument to jesus but uh, that's what he was trying to do well uh, of course jesus answers him rebukes him and at the end of this the devil leaves him verse 11 and then angels come at this point and begin to minister to him um, well, angel is the most basic term that we have in the Bible for angels. It's sometimes translated messengers, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So both in Hebrew and in Greek, the word that's used for angel is also the same word as messenger. So that comes up in the New Testament uh, somewhat famously in uh, Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus speaking to the seven churches. Do you know how it starts out each time? To the angel at the church of, you know, fill in the blank with the city. Well, some translations will say to the messenger of the church at Ephesus or Philadelphia or whatever, uh, because it's the same word. And so there's actually some debate. Is it actually talking about angels or is it talking about human messengers? Same word is, is used for both. Um, but we just saw in these two passages, Psalm 91, angels guard, Matthew 4, <laughs> angels comfort. Okay, we, we see that going on in the two passages we looked at. But again, that's, that's like the most basic term used for angels, is the word angel. And uh, we see some of their most basic functions there. Questions or thoughts on that term or those passages? Pretty straightforward, huh? Okay. Okay, next term that refers to angels is the word host. Or maybe sometimes in some translations it'll say hosts, plural, even. Uh, but we'll look at Psalm 103, 19 to 22. Who can get that one? Rex. And then Luke 2, 13 to 14. Who can get that one? Luke chapter 2. I got it. Thank you, Andy. So here we are looking at that word host in reference to angels. 
This one also isn't really like, you know, too complex. It's pretty straightforward. But uh, it's a common one. Let's uh, go ahead, Rex, whenever you're ready. Psalm 103, 19 to 22. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength, who perform His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, you have ser- you who serve Him, doing His will. Um, bless the Lord, all you works of His, in all places of, of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All right. So we have here like the same structure at the start of verse 20 and 21 and 22. Bless the Lord, all you his blank. 20 is all you his angels. 21 is all you his hosts. 22, all you works of his. So that one's actually switched up a little bit, but the same concept. And so I think angels are in view here uh, through those last few verses. Uh, Hosts is a common term for angels. In fact, you'll see over and over again, especially in the prophets, that the Lord is called the Lord of hosts, right? You used to seeing that in your Bible? Well, host there is referring to large group of heavenly beings, okay? Those who uh, are created by God, who live in angelic or, spiritual, or totally purely spiritual existence. Okay, and then Luke 2, 13 and 14. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is, well, with whom he is pleased. Okay, so they, there appeared suddenly with the angel. There was already an angel there speaking. There appeared suddenly with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. So host, again, that idea is uh, multiple angels. Okay, so... Large, large groups of angels, you could say. Again, we're not doing uh, rocket surgery here. Large groups of angels. And it's actually uh, a military term. In the Hebrew, it's a word that can be used in reference to uh, military, which is interesting because um, angels, of course, do what God wills them to do, and often we find them in the middle of warfare. They're battling. They're, they're doing some kind of battle. They're called uh, dominions and rulers elsewhere in Scripture. And so I think perhaps even that military focus uh, could be carried throughout each time the term is used. But thoughts or questions on that term or those passages talking about hosts? Joseph? Um, does, uh, does hosts have any like male um, aspect to it? Or do you think it could be used for like, male people? Oh, because if it was female, they would be called hostesses? No. Well, what's interesting, uh, I can't remember if we talked about this. No, we didn't talk about this last time. We'll talk about it, it looks like, maybe next week. Uh, it looks, uh, the only time that we get angels' names are Michael and Gabriel, right? right. And those are male names. Mm-hmm. The only appearances that we have... Um, described in scripture of angels they're besides the ones where they're clearly otherworldly like wings and the four living creatures or living beings um, they appear as men an angel appeared as a man and we'll look at look at that soon in the weeks to come 
We don't ever have an angel appearing as a woman, I guess, is what I'm just trying to say, plainly. So um, that's interesting, but that doesn't mean that they, we, we talked about this last week a little bit, they don't have gender the same way we have gender. We, we, don't, we don't really see that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, the, uh, the reality that they neither marry nor are given in marriage, I think, indicates that they're genderless. Okay? Uh, God doesn't have gender the way we have gender. He presents himself in a masculine way, and that's important that we maintain that. That's how he's chosen to reveal himself. But that doesn't mean he's like us. That would be crazy to think, right? And uh, so he's not a man. Scripture says that. So I don't think it would be appropriate for us to ascribe gender to angels. There would be no purpose, would there? I mean, it's, they, serve, they don't serve that male-female right. purpose as we do here yes. on Earth. Right. They're not reproducing. They, again, going back to the image of God issue, male and female are made in the image of God, and a large aspect of you're made in the image is fulfill the earth and have dominion, or fill the earth and have dominion, um, to you know, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all of creation. And angels aren't given that. They're not made in his image, and they're not given those tasks. Good. Other thoughts or questions at this juncture? Okay, now things start getting a little more interesting when we talk about angels are also referred to as sons of God. Okay, let's all go to Job together. We'll mix it up for this one. We'll all turn to Job and go to chapter 1. Job 1, we'll look at verse 6 in particular. Let's uh, look at 6 through eh, 6 and 7. Okay, well, Job is one of those you start looking at. It's like, oh, let's just read the whole thing. But can't do that tonight. Six and seven. Who'd like to read those two for us? Job 1, 6 and 7. Go ahead. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Okay. Satan has the freedom to do that, doesn't he? That's, he's been given that freedom by God to walk around, roam around. And you have in verse 6 this picture of the sons of God presenting themselves before the Lord. This is a heavenly scene. This isn't taking place on earth. Satan says clearly he came from the earth. This isn't happening on earth. So these beings who are presenting themselves before the Lord are angelic beings. Okay? And you see that also in the next chapter, chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Okay? So you have angels here being referred to as sons of God. Now what's interesting is you only have this in Job and what's the other book where potentially you have this? There's debate on that. I should phrase it potentially. Genesis. Okay? Genesis. So Genesis 6. Okay? You have it in Job, and then you have it in, potentially, Genesis 6. We're not talking about that tonight. Not tonight. Uh, <clears throat> so, very interesting. Now, do you remember last week, I, I talked about this term just briefly, why angels would be called sons of God? Do you remember talking about the... Okay, because they were directly created by God. There was no uh, middleman there, okay? So... Again, the uh, correlation you can have with that is in Luke chapter 3, Adam is called the son of God. 
as Luke's going through some genealogy, he gets back to Adam, and you can't say Adam was the son of a human, so you get to it and you say Adam, the son of God. Angels, in the same sense, were created directly by God, and so they can be called sons of God in that sense. But pretty unique that you have that term here in Job. Again, it's, if it's not in Genesis 6, if you come to the conclusion, no, Genesis 6 isn't talking about angels, then it's only in Job where this term is used. I find that to be quite interesting. Thoughts on that? Or questions? All right. Okay. Elohim. You guys seen this word before or heard, heard this word talked about before? I hope so. <laughs> okay. Why do you say that, Joseph? What is that word? Oh, it's God. Oh, is it though? Hmm. Hmm. Actually, okay, Elohim is plural. You may notice, like up here, you've got I am on the end here. I should have circled it. Okay, you've got I am. That's that's pluralized. So you've got a cherub, a singular cherub. If you're talking about multiple cherubs, it's actually cherubim. Or a seraph is a singular angel. Multiple seraphs would be seraphim. With Elohim, this is in the plural. This actually says gods in the plural. The root of it is the beginning part, those first two letters, L, E-L. That is the word for God. Elohim is gods. Now, that's technically speaking. Technically, grammatically, it means gods. Now, often, though, when you come across that word in the Old Testament, you have it referring to God in the singular. And uh, it's kind of like uh, Spanish. Who in here speaks Spanish? Oh, hey. <laughs> the, uh, she pointed at you, Joseph. You're a resident... Spanish expert. Ex <laughs> Dios means God. Yeah. Plural, right? Ah, interesting. Plural word, but in reference to one God. Okay, so, I mean, there are different uh, explanations as to why that is. Um, one interesting thing, and I don't know how accurate this is, but one thing I've heard people say is when his is plural, it's like he's taking up that, that whole space of deity. And so we're ascribing to the one being this plural term, so there's no room for anybody else. I don't know. I don't know if that is actually why that term is used. But it's, it's like similar to Spanish in that way. So, um, okay, I'm bringing that up because not only is this word Elohim, which technically means gods, but is most often used to refer to the one God, not only is it used to refer to the one God, but it's also used to refer to angels. So let's see that in Psalm 8. This isn't the only place, but I wanted to use this one because it has a New Testament quotation. Psalm 8 and Hebrews 2. Who can get Psalm 8, verse 5 for us? Logan. And then Psalm or uh, Hebrews 2, 7. Mike, you want to grab that one? Okay. So um, what translation are you using, Logan? ESV. ESV. Okay. Um, so those of you who have a NASB in here tonight, the New American Standard, turn also to Psalm 8, 5 and listen to the difference here. So Logan, um, when you're ready... Go ahead and read that. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. All right, so this is talking about man. I should have given that context. Here the psalmist is talking about human beings, 
mankind. And you said, what, Logan? You've made him a little... A little lower than the heavenly beings. Okay. What about New American Standard? What does it say? God. You've made him a little lower than God. All right. So you see translators have to make a decision here when they see Elohim. Because there are times when it means angels, and that's the minority, but it, it's used to mean angels. And then there are times, the majority, when it means God himself. So you've made man a little lower than God or a little lower than the heavenly beings. Well, if only the New Testament could help us out on this. Oh, it does. Hebrews 2.7. Mike, you want to read that for us? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. Okay. So here you have in Hebrews 2 a quotation of Psalm 8.5. It's quoting from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And in Hebrews 2.7, quoting Psalm 8.5, it says, angels. So I don't really understand why the New American Standard uh, Translation Committee felt the need to say that that's God instead of angels. It's a little weird. But, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But the... Uh, it's also that way in the NLT, the New Living Translation, and in the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. But it seems like all the other ones, NIV, King James, New King James, etc., all of those translate it to angels. You've made him a little lower than the angels. Okay? So, um, if we were to just uh, kind of walk away from that part of the conversation, at least for the moment, why, why would it be that we could use this word that most often means God, to refer to angels, do you think? Why is that? How, how is that appropriate? God is spirit. Okay. Angels are spirit. Okay. Yeah. But God isn't an angel, Dad. But God's not an angel, Dad. God is an angel. No. <laughs> okay. And angels are not gods. That's correct. Okay. Did we say that that is, could be more like a title that we could... Messengers? Like... <laughs> well, what do you mean? Title like? Could you use a, like a, an example from yeah, so I our earthly lives? A, I think it's in the Psalms when um, God is talking to like the judges when He says that I you, I've made you like gods or something. Mm -hmm. Psalm eighty two. Okay, okay. So yeah, Joseph is bringing up something that I was hiding from you. I was going to bring it up in a moment, but it's not only angels and God Himself that get the title of Elohim. But also, there are human judges who get this title also. You see it actually in four or five places in the Old Testament. This is the extreme minority of how that word is used. But you have human counselors or judges or rulers being given the title Elohim. Now, why, now how could that be? That, now we're really kind of like complicating the issue almost, it seems, huh? What's the logic there? Jim? Just guessing, I would say that angels in particular, you might look at them as an extension of God. They're doing God's bidding, God's work. Beautiful phrasing, because that's exactly what I have on my sheet. Yeah, extension. That's the word, okay? So this is, I think that's exactly right. Uh, they are an extension of God's work, you could say. Or, actually what's probably better is rule. They're an extension of God's rule. 
So um, when you think about earthly rulers or judges in Israel, they were to use God's judgment when they were meeting with people to decide a case. And that's why in the law it could say you're meeting with God. Because you're meeting with the rulers that God has established and they would use his wisdom from his law to decide your case. And the same with angels, where angels are, um, remember there's a, a distinction between angels and demons in several different ways, but one of them is that angels can't sin. They're holy, we're going to look at that next. They're called holy ones. And so they are an extension of God's message, of God's rulership, his authority, authority. and his, his work in the world. Yeah. Yeah. That, do we have a do we have a passage to say they're judging that says they're judging us? So we talked about that a couple of weeks ago and then we're gonna judge them later. Well we're told we will judge angels. Okay. I don't know if we're told that they're judging them. Yeah, they're they're observing yeah. and there are declarations they make throughout scripture. But and yeah. we're below them currently. Yeah. Sort of you got God and then angels and then and demons. Humans. Yes. Right. Yeah. Then you've got silverback gorilla, and then yeah. Andy. Andy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm further down the line. <laughs> so we clarified angels couldn't sin. Yeah. Right. Then okay, there's fall of angels. Yes. Satan took a third of them. Yeah. Well, we haven't we haven't gotten to that passage yet. We'll just say for now some of them. So yes. some of them. Yeah. Um, did they have free will at some point and mm. then God took it away and mm. now they can't sin anymore? Mm, yeah. So the fall of Satan is very interesting. There's a, this actually is tied directly to the problem of evil. There's a, um, you know, this, what's the word? Theodicy. How could there be evil in the world and God be innocent of that evil? That's the issue. And uh, as a Christian, actually, um, as anybody who believes that evil exists, uh, that there is good and evil, you have to explain how evil got there. Because for evil to exist, there has to be something good. There has to be a standard that it, it, it's breaking. Um, so from a biblical standpoint, of course, evil began with Satan. And it says in Ezekiel 28 that we'll look at next week that evil was found within Satan. Sin was found in Satan. That had to come from some sort of will on his part, right? God didn't will sin. He didn't create sin. So yes, there had to be some level of freedom to rebel. Yet, the ones who didn't fall, they, they didn't fall because they were chosen by God as we looked at last week. First Timothy 5, he elected some angels. So, Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a question we'll get to when we transition from angels to demons. Do, are angels, are there still some angels transitioning to demons or not? We'll talk about that. Okay. But short answer is I don't believe so. Okay. okay. Can you give me that definition of the Odyssey you said? Yeah, how could there be evil in the world and God be innocent of it? How can there be evil in creation and the Creator is innocent of it? Char? It's good. Elohim are used for the Trinity. Elohim? Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that, that could be. Um, though the problem you might run into there is uh, we don't believe in three gods. 
there are never, we never say three beings. However, we recognize that God, the one being of God, is plural in person. So perhaps, yeah, perhaps that was what God was doing when he inspires them to write Elohim in the plural. But yeah, I don't know. Just got to be careful when we explain it that way, that whoever we're explaining it to understands what we're saying. Okay. All right, let's keep going. Holy Ones, the next title we have. Holy Ones. Psalm 89, 6 and 7. Psalm 89, verses 6 and 7. Who can get that for us? Ladies first. Me. <laughs> A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. Sorry, I skipped six. <laughs> For who in disguise can be compared to the Lord, who among the heavenly beings is like the God? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. Okay. God is in the council of the holy ones. Pretty amazing. Um... They're called holy ones. I kind of already mentioned this, but it's a, it's a designation that refers to their sinlessness. So, um, can you think... Sorry, trying to, I'm trying to think while I'm writing. Uh, can you think of the term in the New Testament for Christians that means holy ones? What's the term? Yeah, saints. That's what that word means, holy ones. And how are we called saints? Because the Catholic Church voted and we get our own candle and stuff now? How are we called saints? Because we've been forgiven of sins. Okay, we've been forgiven of sins and given the righteousness of God. So you're a holy one. That's the only way to stand holy before. Yes. Have angels been saved? Have they been forgiven of sins? Can they be forgiven of sins? No. Uh, have they been given the righteousness of God? No. But are they in a perpetual state of sinlessness? Yes. So that's why they're called holy ones. So it's a totally different experience with, uh, with righteousness and holiness than what we have right now. One day we'll be in a glorified state and we will no longer die and we'll be free from sin. It will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, no more sin, no more mourning. That'll be great. And that's what angels have experienced in their being. Now, of course, they've been surrounded by sin in a fallen world, and they do battle with demons and everything else. So there are effects of sins that they deal with, but in their being, they are totally sinless. They have been from the beginning. That's a totally unrelatable experience for us, isn't it? <laughs> because from, well, in sin, our mothers conceived us, we could say with David. Okay. Logan. Yes, angels. Yep. All these are terms of angels. One thing I thought of like, when we were talking about sons of God is, uh, well, um, he showed up with the sons of God, the devil did. Mm -hmm. And he's a fallen son of God. Correct. Yep. He sold his birthright, you could say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, but he's very familiar, and all, all demons are very familiar with that angelic existence because they all had it at one point. Okay. I'm a little confused about 
being in the council of the holy ones? God doesn't need counseling. What does it mean by in the council of? Well, notice it doesn't say he's receiving counseling. Uh, in, in fact, you know, in English, there are two. It's a homophone, right? Counts, well, not really. Not supposed to be a homophone. We often pronounce it the same way, but it's not. There's counsel and there's counsel. This is talking about counsel, the noun, and not receiving counseling, which would be uh, advice or whatever. Um, often, though, the two are together. If you're in a council, there's counseling going on a lot of times. Well, you're exactly correct. Uh, God does not need any counsel like we do. He doesn't need advice. He doesn't say, hey, angels, here's what I'm thinking. Give me your feedback and I'll, I'll adjust accordingly. You know, That's not how that, that goes. However, he has seen fit in the heavenly realm that angels would be involved in not only his presence, but also apparently when he's making declarations, they're involved to some degree. And uh, now he's not getting advice from them and he's not making decisions based on what they choose. But they're there. They're hearing his deliberations. They're hearing his proclamations. They are there in the throne room of God where those things happen. And so uh, he doesn't need them, of course. He doesn't need anyone or anything. But he has seen fit to glorify himself by including them. So would you say that's like, instead of like counseling, it kind of refers to them like telling God like how they were observing us? Could, yeah, could totally be. Um, you, you also have that one passage that we looked at a couple weeks ago when God says, uh, you know, I, I, who's going to go down and confuse that king? Well, that, it's a good thing he had a council because then you have a spirit saying, oh, I'll do it. So that kind of stuff happens there too. Andy? Maybe he's counseling them. Yeah, well, it's certainly, yes. Andy? So I don't want to steal thunder, but just to juxtaposition... Angels in the presence of God and humans in the presence of God. Deuteronomy 6, right? Because his, you can't look on his glory without being consumed. Yeah. Right? When, when Moses was put in the cleft of the rock and God passed by. Mm -hmm. um, or when the high priest would go in year after year to make sacrifice, there had to be incense covering the altar to shield him from the presence of the Lord. Right. Or covering the mercy seat. Right. So, one aspect, angels being spiritual beings, they're, they're in the presence of God and His counsel and you know, worshiping Him, mm -hmm. being sent on His missions to humans and all of these other things. So there's a difference, it's a difference in kind between angels and humans. Yeah. Humans would not presently, I mean, if, Pop, I was physically before God, my body would just be mm -hmm. gone, right? Yeah, um, no one can see God and live, what we have in Scripture. But then you have these beings who are in a state of sinlessness, and they're able to, yeah. Didn't Moses kind of see the glory of God when he so, the bush? Yeah, um, so that one we're looking at in two weeks. Okay. okay. Exodus 3. <laughs> In my notes, two weeks, we'll be there. Okay. okay. Logan, were you saying something? Yeah, the scripture, Matthew 4, 11, that then the devil left him and behold, the angels came for ministry. Yes. So, I mean, you know, they do minister to him, which, what is ministry? And that, that, of course, was in his humbled state when he was made for a while lower than the angels. 
Hebrew says. So how amazing is that? That the creator of the angels was made lower than the angels and received comfort from angels. Very cool stuff. Okay, now the next one we're going to spend a lot of time on, and that's stars. Okay, I have a lot of passages for you on that one. Uh, let's go to Job 38 together. Job chapter 38. So again, in the book of Job, you have an interesting term being used for angelic beings. Job 38, verses 4 through 7. Um, you've got the term sons of God showing up again. But let's uh, have someone read that. 4 to 7 of Job 38. Who's got it? I got it. Okay. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. All right. So we looked at this before, uh, talking about when angels were created. You have here angels present at the creation of the earth. And in verse 7, you have sons of God shouting for joy and morning stars singing together. This would be the only indication if this is being uh, correctly uh, translated from the Hebrew to the English here. This would be the only place where we have in Scripture the possibility of someone other than a human singing. Uh, this is one of Jerry Bowman's hobby horses. You want to have an interesting conversation with Jerry Bowman? Go up to him and ask him if angels sing. And then just, yeah, just let him go for 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, but this would be the only indication that they do if, if that's, again, the correct uh, translation from the Hebrew. So you have sons of God, we already saw as a reference to angels and morning stars here, reference uh, to angels also. So they are referred to, angels are referred to as stars in multiple places. This is actually one of the more popular ones that they're referred to as stars. Well, let's, uh, let's think about this. Stars like angels are in the heavenlies above us. We are, remember, we're lower than the angels. So stars and angels, they're higher than us if we were just to think, you know, very uh, woodenly, logically here. Stars and angels both reflect the power of God. I mean, is there anything that more clearly shouts that there is a creator than the heavens? The heavens declare the glory of God. And the more we research it, the more blown away we are. It's so amazing. Um, stars, like angels, are also called hosts. So we already looked at that term used for angels. Well, it's also used for stars in the Bible. In uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. We have that uh, term being used that way. Nehemiah 9.6 says, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the sea and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. And so you have, I think, host actually being used in both ways in that one verse, which, which is pretty interesting in Nehemiah 9.6. And the reason why we're going to spend a little more time on this is because I've got some other verses that connect astrology and demon worship together. 
as we're thinking about angels being referred to as stars, we also have in the Bible demon worship being connected to paying attention to the stars in a way that becomes idolatry. That's really curious to me, okay? So let's, uh, let's look at a few of these passages. Um, I've got four passages here in front of me. So let's get someone that will get Deuteronomy 4.19. Mike? Jeremiah 19.13. Jeremiah 19, verse 13. Okay, Stacy. Joseph, would you get 2 Kings 23, verses 4 and 5? 2 Kings 23, 4 and 5. And then uh, I'll take Acts chapter 7 after, after that, okay? So here we have... Uh, Jeremiah what? No, you're doing Jeremiah 19.13. Okay. So I want you to pay attention as these verses are read here to this concept of stars and angelic beings and idolatry and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, Mike, whenever you're ready, go ahead. And beware not to lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, and be drawn away and worship them and serve them. All right, so you have here, you don't have demons mentioned or angelic beings mentioned explicitly, but you have this idea of people will be tempted as they look up and they see the lights in the sky to worship the lights in the sky. Okay, that's a temptation that fallen man has, and you can look at different cultures over the course of history, and fallen man has done that, right? What passage was that? That was Deuteronomy 4.19. Okay, and then so Stacy, when you're ready, uh, Jeremiah 19. The houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah will be defiled like the place Tophet, because of all the houses on whose rooftops they burned sacrifices to all the heavenly hosts and poured out drink offerings to other gods. Okay, so now you have a little more explicit connection of there's this worship as they look up in the sky, they're on the rooftop, and they're burning sacrifices to the heavenly host. They're pouring out drink offerings to other gods. So worshiping the host of the heaven, again, host being used in reference to, I think, actual stars here, they're also worshiping demonic hosts. I think you've got both things going on in that verse, otherwise known as other gods. So this paying attention to the stars in the sky and all that moves right over into demonic worship. Joseph, 2 Kings 23, 4 and 5. It says, Then the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out the, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal, for Asherah and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the surrounding area of Jerusalem. Also those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the constellations and to all the hosts of heaven. All right, so you have Josiah in Israel who was a good king. And these are good reforms that are happening under Josiah's reign. And he says, okay, all this paraphernalia that we used to worship Baal and Asherah, you know, those are common false gods in the Old Testament, and that were used to worship all the hosts of heaven, let's get rid of them. So it's not just 
Baal or Asherah, it's the stars of the sky, the sun and the moon, the whole host of what you see in the sky. There was actual worship going on, and we know that this is demonic. I mean, what, this is in First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul says, there are no other gods, but there are demons behind those gods. And I do not want you to worship demons, is what he warns that church of. And so Baal is nothing, Asherah is nothing, the stars of the sky are nothing, but there are demons behind that, and that's something. And Paul told that church, I don't want you to be involved in worshiping demons. And then finally, Acts chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 41 to 43. This is the first Christian martyr, Stephen, recounting Israel's history as he's about to die. And he says, at that time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol, and all were rejoicing in the works of their hands. So here he's referring to the golden calf incident. Very familiar story. But do you remember this part of the story as Stephen tells it? Verse 42. But God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, it was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the god Ramtha, the images which you made to worship. I also will remove you from, or remove you beyond Babylon. So you have Israel being delivered up to serve the stars of the sky, the host of heaven. And then also God declares that they were worshiping not only in the tabernacle of Moloch, where child sacrifice was popular, but also the star of this false god, Ramtha. Interesting name. And that's Stephen quoting Amos chapter 5. Okay. So uh, you have this connection between worshiping stars in heaven and being involved with demons. And you have angels being called stars in a good sense, but then you also have people worshiping stars in a bad sense because they're worshiping demons. Okay, interesting stuff. Thoughts, questions on all that business? Okay, because they are there rejoicing at the creation of the earth. Yeah, and so yeah, that could be that that totally could be um, that they that the morning well they're called morning stars. Okay, here well here's another reason why. Again, I wasn't going to go here till next week, but in uh, Ezekiel 28, I think it's Ezekiel 28. If it's not Ezekiel 28, it's Isaiah 14. But I think it's Ezekiel 28. You have God referring to Satan as a star of the morning. And so um, I think the wording is a little bit different because at least in the English it's star of the morning, whereas in Job it's morning stars. But the fact that morning stars is used right alongside sons of God and then in Ezekiel 28 you have Satan being referred to as a star of the morning, to me that leads my mind in that direction. But I'd be open to that too. I'd be open to that they would be physical stars. Especially if we want to really maintain this idea that only humans sing. That would be a, be a convenient out. Well, that's not talking about angels. That's talking about stars singing. Yeah, I don't know. So let me ask you, modern context. Okay, yeah. Do we see this kind of idolatry amongst people now? Yeah. Yeah. And probably in more ways than we realize. I mean, it's very natural for our minds just to jump to the horoscopes and the newspaper or the apps now. Not newspapers anymore. People get horoscope apps, I'm sure. And uh, get really involved in all that kind of stuff to the point of you're, you're worshiping 
this unknown God, essentially, uh, this force out there, and it's in the sky. Okay, but uh, there are probably other ways too. But yes, this there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon said, and I think that includes modes of false worship too. When I was well, when we were living in Cottonwood, it's about 15 miles from Sedona. Uh, the New Age is very prevalent in that town. And there, there were astrological charts displayed in windows, people talking, you know, about what's your sign and all this yeah. other stuff. It was very, very common. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not only horoscopes, but there's, like, religious expressions of it yep. amongst people. Mm. You say they're spiritual. And, mm. and then... We, it's really just a small step to aliens. Yes. Well, and, and that's, you know, mm-hmm. Roswell in the Southwest or wherever has always been famous for that. But it's becoming, of course, more and more popular now as our, the American government is talking more and more about it. <laughs> and what are aliens? Well, we're seeing these lights in the sky. Things that look like stars, but they're moving around. They're ho- the, in the host of heaven. Okay, we'll get there eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Other thoughts or questions? I have a question. Yeah. And this might be really stupid. That, well, you ask. never know until you ask. When you're saying <laughs> stars, and like the Bible says stars, are we talking about like I go outside and I'm looking at angels in the sky stars? Okay. No. Um, no. This, so there's stars in a literal sense that we're talking about when you looked at the sun, moon, and stars. Yes. That's stars in a literal sense as we talk about it. But then there are occasions when... That word is being used in a figurative sense, being applied to angels. So, uh, for instance, again, uh, referencing Satan in Ezekiel 28, when God says, you were this anointed cherub, O star of the morning. He doesn't mean Satan is a literal star, right? But that he can disguise himself as an angel of light. We just looked at that on Sunday mornings. And so there's this idea of light and darkness in a actual sense and also in a metaphorical spiritual sense. That's a good question. Never be ashamed of asking a question. Okay? All right? Well, let's talk about these three things and we'll wrap up. Okay? Cherubim, cherubim, seraphim, and living beings or four living creatures. Should we start, should we make an official uh, church decision here when we sing the hymn Holy, Holy, Holy instead of singing Cherubim and seraphim, we say cherubim and seraphim. No. Can I get a motion? <laughs> cherubim and seraphim. Yeah, it wouldn't sound right. Okay. All right. So let's uh, examine these classes of angels. These are like a, a subset of angels. So before, <clears throat> all this stuff here that we've been looking at uh, to the left of this line has been referring to Angels as a whole, they, they can be referred to as a whole, just generally, I guess is what I mean to say, generally, with any of these terms. And I didn't mention they're also called ministers, they're called chariots, they're called sons of the mighty, they're called watchers, um, messengers, I did mention that one briefly. There are a bunch of different names, just generally. But here, with these three terms that we're going to see in the Bible briefly, we'll just, in 10 minutes, we'll hit these briefly and then we'll start there next week. We also have these like subsets within the whole. Some of them are referred to as cherubim, some as seraphim, some as living creatures, and perhaps more. Right. So let's look uh, for the first 
time we see something like this is in Genesis 3. Let's all go there together because this is foundational stuff at the very beginning of your Bible. Um, Genesis chapter 3, and let's look at verse 24. After God had cursed the serpent and cursed man and woman because of their sin, it says, verse 24, he drove the man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. First place in the Bible, you see a specific class of angels right there in Genesis 3. Pretty interesting, huh? And what a, what a cool role he had to guard the way to the tree of life. He has a flaming sword turning every direction. Woo! What does that look like? I mean, that's cool. I mean, it's cool to think about. I find that fun, all right? But, of course, that's not the only place. If you go to the next book over, to Exodus, let's look at 2518. We see something else about cherubim. Who can get that for us? Exodus 2518. I got it. Okay, and then who can get Psalm 99, 1 to 3? Mike, you want to grab that one? Thanks. So... Again, look for the term or listen for the term cherubim. Exodus twenty-five, eighteen. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. So in the tabernacle that Israel was to have, the mercy seat that the high priest would come in and sprinkle blood on, God directed that they make images of these angels on the mercy seat. Interesting. Wouldn't it be cool to have a picture of what they made? because we just kind of have to guess a little bit. And then uh, Psalm 99, 1 to 3. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. The Lord is a great in Zion, and he is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great, your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Okay, so let's synthesize here these three passages. You've got a cherubim, or multiple cherubim, because it's plural, guarding the way to the tree of life with the flaming sword. As if a sword wasn't scary enough, let's set it on fire, right? Then you've got Exodus 25 on the mercy seat. They're like there in the presence of God because that's where the presence of God would be, right? That's why the incense had to be there when a high priest would go in to shield him from the presence of God. Then you have in Psalm 99, God is enthroned above the cherubim. So each of these has to do with being very close to the presence of God, being very close to holiness, and a, a guarding function. That's going to be consistent every time you see cherubim in, in the Bible. And so you could say, what do cherubim do? They guard the presence of God. Does God need guards? No. Okay. But again, he has seen fit to use his creatures in this way to bring glory to himself. Probably to emphasize his holiness and to emphasize the purity of his presence. But cherubim are found guarding. It's a thing that they, that they do, okay? Now, when it comes to seraphim, we only have one passage in the whole Bible that talks about seraphim. And I just you want more, don't you? But well, here we go. Isaiah chapter 6. Very popular passage, the first uh, few verses of Isaiah 6. This is all we got on seraphim. 
but they're there. It says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Now, where were the cherubim in Psalm 99? They were below him. He was enthroned above the cherubim, so the cherubim were below. Seraphim, verse 2, stood above him, each having six wings. With the two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. There's that term, hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. And I said, Yeah, it hurt. No. And, uh, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Okay. So what can we learn from here? Well, they are proclaimers. They're proclaiming holy, holy, holy. And we see, too, that there's some sort of a priestly function here. We'll say service. Priestly service. An angel, a seraph, came and made him clean. Touched him and made him clean. God used the angel to do that, to communicate to him that he was made clean. That's what priests do. They go in, they sprinkle blood, and they say, your sins are forgiven. Well, here, a seraph was able to touch his lips with the burning coal and say, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Interesting. So some sort of a priestly function is going on here in Isaiah 6. Okay. Isn't there some place where I heard or read where they describe seraphim as just a blazing ball of fire, hot and pure and Hmm. Well, this would be the only place. This is the only place where seraphim are mentioned. Yeah, at least by name. Yeah. I noticed that he had to get tongs. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, a burning ball of fire wouldn't have to get tongs to touch something hot. (laughs) So, yeah, it's interesting. Were you saying something, Shark? Oh, they have wings. Yeah, six. Kind of crazy. Yep. Well, it's confusing. And this is all you got, so don't run beyond Scripture, but run to Scripture. Don't stop short, but don't run beyond it. I'm just having a difficult time with him being spirit that we can't yeah. see, but yet he can touch and pull mm-hmm. tops and fly mm-hmm. and be seen by... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Didn't we see talk about how they're uh, not material, but can make them something? Yes, but he was flying, so he had to still be in angel form. We have wings. Right. But he has got a body. That's how I flew. <laughs> they, they, don't, they, don't always, they don't always materialize in the form of a man. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's strange. Were you thinking something there, Mandy? Your question? Thought? Um, so the seraphim is covering the Lord, right? And two. They stood above him. And, oh, they're covering this. That's a good question. Covering themselves. Oh, okay. 
Yep, covering their own. So when it says uh, his, his yes. So so they're hovering. They've so got you, their they've got their face covered. Yes, they've got their feet covered, and they're hovering. Yeah, and they're yeah, and they are like shouting to each other, "Holy, holy, holy!" Yes. And so is it because this is a vision that he can see the Lord? Um. Well, we have to. We, well, actually. No. I'm assuming you're asking that because no one can see the Lord and live, right. right? Okay. Yet we have many occasions in the Old Testament where people are interacting with or seeing the Lord in some way, shape, or form, as we were talking about before, like with Moses and right. the cleft. Okay. Well, what's cool about this passage is that Jesus references, references it in John chapter 12, I believe verse 41, and says, Isaiah saw me. So we know this was a Christophany or a Theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And that's where we would go with like Moses and Daniel and some of that stuff Mm -hmm. that's going on there too. Okay, Okay. thank you. Stan. Mine says in his hand, not tongs, but in his hand. Look at verse... Verse um, verse 4. 6, at the end of verse 6. I'm sorry, yes, in verse 6, mine says... Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. Keep going. Which he had taken with tongs. Yeah, there you go. But he said, yeah. taken it with tongs, yes. but he had it in his hand. And that's a great observation. So it's interesting. He took it out with tongs, and then he puts it in his hand and touches his lips. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. <clears throat> And you know what? Next week we'll start with living beings. This is going to be in the book of Revelation. So speaking of crazy looking things, um, we will look at the living, four living creatures next week from Revelation chapter 4. All right, that's where we'll go to begin next week. Okay, there you go. You just learned a whole bunch more about angels tonight. And uh, we'll just keep going class after class. Glad we had two weeks for this one, aren't you? Trying to do all this one in one week probably wouldn't have been a good idea. We could have done it. Could have. We'd just be here until 7 o'clock. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so. Do you have an update on Joe's surgery? Uh, yeah, so we... Did Liza ever text back to Ellie after she asked if everything went well? Mm, I'm not sure if she did she or not. Said, but she, did she? She said it went well. Joe's awake and speaking is still very rough. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah. It was a four-hour surgery. That was no small thing. Stan. Oh, another one of those sheets? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you bet. Let's see, wait, Virginia and South Virginia. So you just need to go on this side and then it'll be West Virginia. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's close in prayer and then we'll uh, be dismissed. Okay, Jim, you want to close us in prayer tonight? Thanks.